Hello, I'm Courtney San Miguel. I am a licensed mental health counselor here, and I have a Christian counseling practice in the Fremont neighborhood. Last spring, after our very dark and dreary winter, I began hearing uh, from across the region, from different people and different churches, that um, people were struggling with loneliness and weariness. Um, In June, Seattle PI put out an article that posted that one in five people in King County report feeling lonely, lonely. And the Harvard Business Review also put out an article saying that 40% of Americans feel lonely. And there are some research um, articles that suggest even higher amounts of people that are feeling lonely. So I asked the Lord, what can we do to encourage people to keep going, to persevere? And he said to bring them together, remind them of his goodness, and remind them that he is still working, even when we're feeling very alone. So I, after several months of talking with other people and receiving an equal vision from other people, we decided to put together the Better Together Conference. And um, so we would like to share with you what we shared at the Better Better Together Conference. Um, First of all, the Bible is full of stories about the plight of people and God's plan to rescue them. That's kind of the purpose of the entire thing. Um, So to narrow it down, to be able to talk about one segment of suffering was a difficult task, but we decided on Romans 5, 1 through 5, because of the goodness that it shares about what God has for us in these difficult places. So let's start there. I'd like to start with Romans 5, 1 through 5, and I'll read it to you. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. So let's go back to the beginning of that. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. So this message is for those who have chosen to follow Christ. We're justified by faith. If you haven't chosen to follow Christ, I recommend reading the whole book of Romans. It isn't very long, and it has a lot of answers to that end, particularly in these middle chapters. Also, if you have further questions, feel free to contact anyone on the Hallows Leadership staff, and uh, we'll be happy to meet with you and discuss those things. In verse 2, through him we have also obtained access by faith. Ephesians 2.8 says that faith is a gift from God. So through the gift of faith that was given to us through him who died, Christ, we have obtained access into this grace in which we stand. 
if you're having difficulty with faith, ask him for that gift so that you can have access into this grace in which we stand. And when I say we stand, I mean, this is like standing at the bottom, at the deep end of the pool. We are just soaking in grace and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Now to the portion which we'll be unpacking through these sessions. Verse 3, not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings. Lord, would you bring to mind that which you want to heal? Would you help us to understand your ways as you mend these broken places? Thank you for your gentleness and your patience with us as we process. Your love is deeper. Thank you, Lord. Amen. So this session, we'll be discussing rejoice in our sufferings. Now, suffering is an interesting word because it has a lot of connotation. We can flip on the news, click the news, and we will be just full of images of deep suffering from around the globe. And that's kind of what comes up, I think, when we hear the word suffering. And honestly, that doesn't look like life in Seattle for most of us. That doesn't look like life in America for most of us. But I think we need to look at the term that's used here because there's more to it than that. So let's define suffering. Good old English Webster, suffering, the state of undergoing pain, distress, or hardship experiencing or being subjected to something bad or unpleasant, being affected by or subject, subjected to an illness or ailment, becoming or appearing worse in quality, or the archaic term, which is probably what brings up the most images for us, to undergo martyrdom or execution. So that is the English definition, very broad in scope. Let's look at the Greek term philipsis used here, which directly translates as pressure. Now, we understand this term because we have phrases like the weight of the world on our shoulders. And this pressure means literally or figuratively. So you could be physically e experiencing some pressure, or you could just figuratively be experiencing the pressure of a deadline, the pressure of graduating, the pressure of parenting, the pressure of marriage, the pressure of a roommate situation. There's, we understand that relationships undergo pressure, situations undergo uh, pressure. And so thalipsis, this Greek term, then supports the English definition that we have. And then it's a very broad term. It can range from minor disappointments to major harm. It can last for a moment or last for a lifetime. It can be simply perceived. You just might think that someone's upset with you. Or it could be a reality. Someone is truly upset with you. It can be one part of life or it can affect all parts of life. And what's beautiful about this broad definition is that no matter where you are on the spectrum... If it is just Monday, you know, and you've got a case of the Mondays, 
it meets you there. If you are going undergoing cancer and treatments, it meets you there and offers comfort in Christ. Through this text, your pain is validated. The Lord, by using this term, states that he does not take your pain lightly, no matter where it falls. So, do you have anything that falls on this spectrum currently? Maybe you're one of these many people in this statistic who are feeling lonely and weary. Maybe recently you've received some bad news. Are you fighting something physical, an ailment, or emotional with mental health? Or are you taking care of or walking with someone who is? Maybe there's something from your past that just doesn't go away and continues to haunt you. Maybe the political climate is causing some unease. Maybe you are in a long season of wait and you feel like the psalmist in Psalm 13 when he says, How long will you forget me? How long will you hide from me? Maybe you feel forgotten by God. Maybe you've been doing everything you are supposed to do and you are seeing little or no result and you're just tired. What is your place of suffering? So let's look at Romans 5.3 again. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings. I don't think I've mentioned anything that sounds like a happy occasion. Paul is saying we rejoice in our pressure. The just this year, I've started listening to a woman who is named Jill Briscoe. She's an 84-year-old poet. She has spent her life traveling the world sharing Jesus. Her testimony begins in a fallout shelter in World War II. She understands suffering. And when people ask her how she is doing, her response is, under the circumstances, I am not under the circumstances. This is counterintuitive to our natural response. We don't feel like rejoicing when we are suffering. Our natural response is to seek relief immediately, find the root of what caused the suffering, and avoid that at all cost for the rest of my life if possible. So why would God give us this word to rejoice in suffering? I believe that across the Bible, through many different texts, the idea is supported that for his redeemed children, God has redeemed suffering by making joy the purpose of the experience of suffering. I believe this is supported by Romans 8.28, and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. All things work together for good. In James 1-2, it says, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. Counting 
every trial is joy. And I'm going to tell you that trial word there is that same word as suffering. It's thelipsis. But not only do I believe that he offers joy as a contrast to suffering, as in we can recognize joy because we experience the suffering, but he also offers joy through the suffering because we are offered the experience of the Lord's character regularly through our lives. It's almost a correlational relationship. As suffering increases, it gets further and further outside of our control and outside of our ability to have a solution or to implement a solution. But as suffering increases, our joy also increases because as we are more and more unable to fix the problem, the Lord is the only one who can step in and do something, and he does it, and we get to see him do it. And so our joy is increased as we find hope in his glory. I believe that when we need to know something about the Lord, that he will put us in a place where we will learn it. For example, if we need to see his power, if he wants to show us his power, we will find our lives in a place where we need his power, like political issues. That's so much larger than us. It's something that he can do when we cannot. Like when we're lonely, when if he's wanting to show us his love, we will be in a place where we really need his love. Like loneliness. We can be in a room full of people and still feel lonely. It's only his love that can penetrate that kind of deep loneliness. If he is wanting to teach us about his patience toward us, we'll be in a place where we need his patience. Like in a long season of waiting or even in parenting. So as he does what we cannot do for ourselves in our suffering, we see that rejoicing and suffering are not mutually exclusive, unassociated, but rather they are symbiotic. They work together simultaneously and they are mutually beneficial as each plays its role almost in a dance in our lives. You may not feel happy to rejoice, but it is also not impossible to rejoice when you are suffering. Our hearts can praise him for moving when and where we can't. I believe this relationship is also described in 1 Peter 1.6. In this you rejoice, and here he's talking about salvation, though now for a little while, If necessary, you've been grieved by various trials. So he's saying you can rejoice even if you're grieving your trials right now. Peter is giving permission for us to grieve our trials. We're not supposed to walk around with a fake smile on. We can grieve our trials even while we rejoice. So how do we do that well? And how do we grieve while rejoicing? Well, first, I think we have to allow ourselves to grieve. Uh, Give yourself permission. 
this means that we have to choose to face it and stop avoiding it. Stop pretending that we have it all together. That means we have to make the conscious decision to stop letting ourselves fall into distracted thinking. It's almost automatic that when feelings start getting negative, maybe I'll grab my phone and start scrolling just to think about something else so I don't have to think about the pain. And I know I'm not the only one. Some people grab the remote, flip on the TV, flip on some Netflix, find something that will help my brain turn off. Go see a movie. Those kinds of things are distracted thinking just to keep our minds busy to avoid dealing with negative emotions. We have to choose to stop doing those things. And instead with that time, we would need to identify the loss. Sometimes the loss is really obvious. The loss of the relationship. Sometimes the loss is a little more subtle than that. Maybe the loss of the dream of what you thought would be of control over the situation. And then you have to choose to grieve. Modern psychology uses Elizabeth Kubler-Ross's five stages of grieving pretty much across the board as a basic standard for the process. Uh, there are some variations according to different people, but basically there are five stages that we stick to. Um, they spell out DABDA, denial, anger, bargaining, depression, acceptance. Now, it is important to note that these may be called the stages of grieving, but it is not a linear stage. Um, I prefer the term phases of grieving. You may be in denial right now, bargaining in five minutes, and depression tomorrow, and then back to anger. There's not a set direction in which it goes, except that denial is usually the first step and acceptance is usually the last. So let's go through each stage and just I'll describe each one and um, talk a little bit about it. First being denial. That's that initial shock, that surreal feeling. Uh, you almost refuse to believe that it's true. Um, if you process denial well, let yourself feel denial for a little bit. This eventually leads to courage. The courage to face it. The courage to move forward through the grief. However, if you kind of cram down your feelings of denial um, and you get kind of stuck in this phase, that usually leads to avoidance. I'm going to avoid thinking about it. I'm going to avoid letting myself go there so that I don't have to process it. And the second one is anger. That can be anger towards God, anger towards someone else, anger towards the situation, just anger in general. Um, healthy processing of anger, allowing yourself to feel that anger, leads to forgiveness. Forgiveness of God for not doing it the way you wanted him to. Forgiveness of another person. Forgiveness of the situation. However, if we get stuck in anger, that leads to bits. I'm sorry. If we get stuck in anger, that leads to bitterness. Third is bargaining. 
Bargaining is the use of persuasion to try to get what you wanted in the first place. Sometimes it comes out as a quid pro quo situation. Often this is towards God. If you're trying to persuade God to do things the way that you want him to. Um, If you're going through a breakup, for example, you may persuade God, Lord, if I have the appropriate relationship with him, will you bring him back? Lord, if I go to church every day, will you bring that person back into my life? Um, Things like that. If you allow yourself, again, this is a normal process of grieving. You're going to go through that phase. So if you allow yourself to feel your bargaining thoughts and feelings, that eventually will lead to trust in his plan. Trust that he knows what's best. However, if you get stuck in bargaining, that looks more like trying to control the situation more. Trying to get a tighter grip on the elements so that it works the way you want it to instead of the way it is turning out. The fourth stage of grieving is depression. Now, most of us know what depression looks like, and we mark that as sadness, which it is. It can also be numbness or apathy. If things that used to make you happy just don't make you happy, that's a pretty good sign that you might be in this stage. Sometimes this stage also comes out as anger. If you let yourself feel some depression... This leads to an emotional release, the ability to release it. However, if you get stuck in depression, it can lead to a major depressive episode. So this is a more dangerous type of depression where you aren't able to get out of bed, you aren't able to function and perform your daily tasks. If, let me just put a plug here, if you have been feeling that way for two weeks or more, unable to function, or you're having potential suicidal thoughts, please contact a counselor or see your primary care physician immediately. If you're having suicidal thoughts and you have a plan, turn this podcast off and call the King County hotline at 1-866-427-4747. Or go immediately to a hospital. Yes, depression can be that dark and that difficult. And the Lord sees your suffering. And he says, yes, child, it is hard and it is painful. Please do something about that right now. Moving on, the fifth stage of grieving is acceptance. This is where you are able to accept reality and you have found a new hope in Christ. Healthily accepting the situation helps you move forward. This is now a past event. We're moving on with life. However, if you are stuck and unable to reach acceptance, then it's potential that you are stuck in denial and you may need to go back through the stages and process some more and that's okay too another 
element to remember while grieving is that this suffering is really where the rubber meets the road. It's where we really start to weigh the cost versus the benefits of our faith choices. And when our thoughts are veiled with strong emotions, literally our brains cannot process our thoughts clearly. And that oftentimes leads to doubts and doubts in our faith. So be aware of the temptation to doubt your faith. Matthew thirteen eighteen through 23, Jesus explains to his disciples some of the different ways people doubt the gospel. At one time in our, all of our lives, we doubted the gospel before we became his children. So there's a potential here that our old ways, our old flesh, could rear its ugly head with our previous ways of doubting. So let's look at Matthew 13 and Jesus' explanation and see if any of these doubts might still have its way occasionally when we're going through suffering. Verse 18. Hear then the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. This is what was sown along the path. As for what was sown on the rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Yet he has no root in himself, but endures for a while. And when tribulation and persecution arises on account of the word, immediately falls away. As for what was sown among the thorns, this is the one who hears the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word and it proves unfruitful. As for what was sown on good soil, this is the one who hears the word and understands it. He indeed bears fruit and yields, in one case a hundredfold, in another sixty, in another thirty. So the person who, prior to coming to Christ, maybe doubted the word as, I don't understand. They hear it, and they do not understand it. This is a person who says, I don't understand, I can't understand, so I give up. If this is your temptation, let me offer you Isaiah 55, 9 to help remind you that for as high as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. We are not going to understand everything that he does. His thoughts are higher than our thoughts. If you are a person who is like the one on the rocky ground, who hears the word and receives it with joy, happily, happily following Christ. But when these difficult suffering times come, tribulation or persecution arises, you fall away. This is too difficult. I don't know if I want to continue doing this because it's so difficult. Let me offer you Psalm twenty-seven, fourteen. Wait for the Lord. Be strong and let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. Maybe you're the third person. The one who was sown among the thorns. You, when you reach the point of, when it comes down to choosing between 
what you wanted for your life versus what God wants for your life, you start to be tempted to bail. This is when you really wanted that house or that family or that job. You really wanted to have that nice car or those nice things. But God has something else in order for you. And so this isn't what you wanted for your life and you're tempted to walk away. Let me offer to you James 1.17. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. It may not be what you wanted for your life, but James 1.17 says that it is a perfect gift and better than maybe what you wanted. Or just because we talked about it earlier, let's talk about the doubt of the psalmist in Psalm 13 when he says, Have you forgotten me? Let me offer you Psalm 139, 17 through 18. How precious to me are your thoughts, O God! How vast the sum of them! If I would count them, they are more than the sand. I awake and I am still with you. Have you ever put a tablespoon of sand in your hands and seen how many grains that is? They're almost innumerable and it's just a very tiny amount. And then there are beaches and there are deserts and there's everything under the ocean and This verse says that he thinks of you more than the sand. If you feel that you've been forgotten by God, let me say that he has not forgotten you. But no matter where you are in the grieving process, even when you are developing doubts, tell God how you feel. If you feel stuck and you don't have the answers and you don't know how to process it, tell him that. It doesn't have to be poetic wording. It doesn't have to be appropriate language. There's no need to hide your true thoughts from the one who created you. He's not surprised. He created every element, even the way your brain processes. So just tell him. And we can rest assured through Psalm 103.14 when it says, For he knows our frame. And he remembers that we are dust. He remembers kneeling down in the dust and forming Adam from top to bottom and breathing life into his lungs and doing the same with Eve later. He remembers knitting you together in your mother's womb, each little strand of DNA, each matching amino acid to make certain little aspects about you. He remembers that. He knows who we are. We can tell him. After you have told your father how you feel, and especially if you don't feel like you can tell him, take others along with you. Grieving together builds community as a shared experience through shared emotions. In Galatians 6.2, we are encouraged to bear each other's burdens. Which means, if, you know, the logic follows, it would be impossible to bear each other's burdens 
if we don't want to burden each other. And I'm going to be honest with you. I believe that lie often. I think, I don't want to burden them. It's fine. Or especially if someone I know is struggling, if it's a friend that's struggling, I don't want to burden them with my own issues. And that's just not what the Bible tells us to do. And in fact, we usually find some common ground there when we share. We're removing their opportunity to receive blessings and oftentimes removing the opportunity for both of us to be normalized and to work together and teach each other as we grow out of these suffering moments. But I'm also missing out on his love and his care through his people, which really perpetuates the problem, causing me to feel more lonely and more disconnected. Grieving together is an opportunity to show God's love to one another. As the griever, sometimes we withhold the information because we think the listener doesn't understand. By doing this, we can discount someone else's grief because it was different than our grief. Everyone has grieved something. Everyone has suffered something. So everyone has a reference point for grief. Now, the listener may not understand the situation surrounding the grief. But let's use that as an opportunity to show them grace and bless them for blessing us for listening and giving them the learning curve. As a community of support, we need to remember that no one handles grief perfectly. There's emotions like anger and depression. They just, they're not always pretty. And it's an opportunity for us to serve each other through the ugly. Jesus loved us at our worst, and it's our ability to be like him and love others at their worst. Practical ways of loving others through listening, through just simple presence. In Job, you'll read that his friends just sat with him without saying anything. They didn't stay that way. They eventually did say things that were not building Job up, but that there was there's healing in that presence um, validating their pain, saying that, yes, you see, affirming that, that you see the difficulty there, offering resources if they need any or if you have any, and even helping with daily tasks. You can bring them dinner. You can help them clean their house. You can pick up kids from school, those kinds of things. And by doing this, we are fulfilling Romans twelve fifteen: Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. Grieving well includes giving yourself permission to go through the grief process, being aware of doubts as you go through it, being in constant communication with your good father, and looping in your community. But how do we allow ourselves to process these negative emotions while rejoicing? Let's take a look at 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 through 18. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God and Christ Jesus for you. Rejoice always, not after suffering, 
not through not just through hindsight although we are definitely welcome to rejoice through hindsight but in suffering rejoicing always in suffering how do we get there well i believe verse 17 (laughs) builds on that pray without ceasing prayer is not just telling him how we feel or what we want but also spending time listening and letting him speak into the situation let him comfort and transform you and also give thanks in all circumstances this is a challenge there's a story by Corey Ten Boom, who was a notorious missionary during the World War II era. She and her friend were arrested um, in her house for hiding Jews to try to protect them. And she shares a story in her book, The Hiding Place, about Betsy and the fleas. So one night, she talks about how foul-smelling the barrack already was, And she wakes up because she feels a pinch on her leg. And then she realizes her entire bed is infested in fleas. She says to her friend Betsy, how can we live in such a place? So her friend asks the Lord, show us, show us how. Well, her friend Betsy remembered that that morning they had read this 1 Thessalonian scripture. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. So Betsy encourages Corey to try to give thanks for their situation. Corey, of course, struggles with thanking God for such horrible circumstances, but Betsy is her only community and continues to encourage her to try bringing to mind that they were able to smuggle in their Bibles. Um, They didn't have to uh, go through any interrogation about that. And that they were able to be assigned to the same barracks together. But where Corey really gets hung up is thanking the Lord for these awful fleas. And I mean, we can understand why. But eventually she gives in and she does thank the Lord even though she still thinks that maybe her friend's wrong about that. Well, across time, they start teaching the Bible in in small groups in their barracks, and those groups grow and grow, and they cannot figure out why they're not getting caught by the soldiers. Well, eventually, Betsy overhears a conversation of the guards saying why they never checked that specific barracks, and it was because of the fleas. God had a purpose for every element, even the fleas, to keep those soldiers out so they could share his love in there with the women who I'm sure desperately needed it. We can give thanks for all things. Sometimes the only thing you seem to be able to find to rejoice in is your salvation. If that's okay, give thanks for your salvation and all the elements like that you are not alone. You suffer with Christ, not because, not just because Christ suffered, but also because he is always with you. He says he will be with us until the end of the age, and at the end of Matthew. And in Psalm 46.1, he's described as God as an ever-present help 
in trouble, always there, always able to help. Rejoice in the fact that you are a valued child of the king who is able. He is the king over all things, and he is able to change the circumstances if that is what is best. Something I offer to clients um, to try to help bring up those things to be rejoicing in and thankful for is to take notes. Either make a list of gifts that he has given that I don't deserve or that we don't deserve. And then also make a list of consequences I probably deserved, but that he's rescued from. And start there, thanking him for those things. Another option to increase thankfulness during suffering is a counter blessings journal. And that is that every day I challenge people to come up with three things to thank him for. And I get super practical, like Betsy and the Fleas. If you're sitting on your couch writing in your thankful journal or counting blessings journal, Lord, I thank you for this couch, for the cushions. I thank you for a warm house to sit in. I thank you for um, the dry roof over my head. Just something super practical. Look right in front of you. And as you continue to try to come up with three different things every day to be thankful for, our eyes tend to open to the many, many blessings that have been poured out on us. If you are unable to come up with three things that you can thank him for, again, take your community with you. Ask a sister for help. And also, giving thanks in all circumstances includes thanking him for this opportunity to know him more. Remember earlier I talked about, you know, loneliness is a great place for God to show you his love for you. If you're going through a moment of suffering, it's an opportunity to see him more. John Bloom says, God hides his most precious treasures in our most difficult and painful experiences. So then how do we rejoice and suffer? We enter grief or suffering looking for the good that God is doing. Most often when I have a client walk in the door initially and they are telling me all that they have been going through, I have a separate conversation going on in my head with the Lord and I'm asking him, what are you doing here and how are you working this for good? If we can't see the good that God is doing, we need to ask our community. An outsider's perspective can help us see the good when things don't feel good. Then we ask him to change our circumstances, knowing that he is able. In Philippians 4, 6-7, we are encouraged to ask him to change the circumstances. Philippians 4, 6-7 says, Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. He wants us to let our requests be made known. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. 
So ask him to change the circumstances, knowing he is more than able. Ephesians 3, 20 through 21. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we could ask or even think, according to the power at work within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. He can do more than we can even ask or think. He is able. And how do we rejoice and suffer? Knowing we can do all of these things, knowing that even if he doesn't change the circumstances, he is still good. There must be more goodness to be had through the suffering than without it. Paul talks about this in 2 Corinthians 12, 7 through 10. He says, so to keep me from becoming conceited, Because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, a thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from becoming conceited. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, calamities, suffering, suffering. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Paul was able to see past the circumstances to the surpassing purpose to keep him humble and dependent so that the Lord's power could work in him and not his own power, so he could boast in his weaknesses. So we can put our hope in his ability. Keep listening to the Better Together sessions because we will be continuing to unpack putting our hope in him through the rest of the the sessions. And next we will talk about how suffering produces endurance and then endurance produces character and then how character produces hope but hope does not put us to shame i hope that you can join us then thanks bye